Psalm 141, if you're there, say amen. We're looking at the first five verses tonight. It says, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Lord, the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, and it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the life, Lord, that you saved us from, you changed us from, and Thank you, Lord, for grace that has made a great difference in our life, Lord. Nothing we deserve, nothing we earned. God, nothing that we did of our own self or of our own works, Lord. We simply accepted a free gift, God, that was purchased and paid for at the cross of Calvary. We thank you, Lord, tonight for salvation. Thank you for the change that it makes, Lord. Thank you for the life that we now live. But, Lord, thank you for eternal life that we look forward to, to enjoy, God, and to spend eternity around uh, the throne of God in heaven rejoicing and praising your name and praising you and God be able to look upon your face and see the one that died for us. But what a day, what a day that's gonna be, Lord, when we finally, our faith is finally made sight. And Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you, God, for the midweek service. God, as we break away from the world, God, as we break away from work and God, the, the issues and the problems of life. Lord, if there's anything I know tonight, all of us came in here, God, with a problem of one form or one fashion tonight, Lord, and we just ask you tonight as we, God, are in, the, in your sanctuary tonight, in the, in the house of God tonight, would you just deal with our hearts? God, help us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, change us. God, help us to live different the way we walked in. And God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the services. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the, when the word of God is preached. God, there is potential and opportunity, God, for us to listen and, God, for you to do a great work in our hearts. We ask you, Lord, that you do that tonight. Help us, Lord, just to give you all the glory, all the praise. Help us, Lord, just to go out of here, God, excited and thankful to be a Christian. And, God, go out and live the Christian life, Lord, the way you designed it to be lived. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Right here in Psalm 141, verses one through five, we see David, he's praying, and we'll get into what he prays about tonight, but in order to get there, I wanna look at this thought of, or an idiom, you probably know it's, it's the phrase, the good, a good rule of thumb. Uh, a good rule of thumb is something that you've probably heard somebody say or somebody uh, quote to you, whether it's on the job, whether it's just in life in general. They'll say, a good rule of thumb, and me being the inquisitive person I am, said, I wonder where that phrase came from. I wonder who came up with that phrase, and though there's no actual uh, for sure who started it, where it came from, what it describes, some people say that it was used to describe uh, the rules and regulations for which a man could buy a stick or, or get a stick to beat his wife with. And now tonight, that's not what I'm preaching on. Tonight, we're not going down that road. I don't even agree with that tonight. But I thought, my goodness, if that was the case, all you ladies would be marrying men with little hands uh, to say with that. But here's the thing. If you men are thinking, oh yeah, look what I could get away with. Just remember, there ain't no regulations on frying pans. All right, and so you get a stick, she's got a frying pan. 
But tonight, that, that phrase, uh, a good rule of thumb, was actually attributed to the first time ever being recorded and written down in history was to a preacher in Scotland. And he was preaching out of the word of God. And he said, there's some good rules of thumb when it comes to serving the Lord. Now, we use in our modern day vernacular, it means uh, uh, good uh, uh, generally speaking, good rules to follow, good guidelines to have, good practices to, to follow in your life. When somebody says it's generally a, a good rule of thumb, you know, not to put tomato in a fruit salad, even though tomato is technically a fruit, or different things like it's, it's a good thing to live. It's good to not eat Oreos right before you take pictures because they're going to be all in your teeth. They're good rules of thumb. And here tonight, we're going to look at this thought of some good things to ask for. Generally speaking here, David presents to us as he's praying to the Lord that there are some good things that me and you should ask the Lord about or ask the Lord for tonight. But notice here, and it's, it's a good rule of thumb to ask for these things. Now, don't take that phrase and, and then apply it to these truths generically. Like, you know, when, when it's convenient, when, when I remember about it, uh, then I'll, I'll ask for these things. See here tonight that we see that's not David's attitude. To, yes, these are things that all of us should ask for. Yes, these are things every Christian should desire and want. But here, David sets the tone with, with how we should ask for these things. Notice verse number one. We see the degree of his asking. He's not nonchalantly walking up to the Lord and, or you know, not really believing, not really in need of it, not really desiring it. He's just kind of saying it because he heard somebody else say it. He heard the preacher say it or just because it sounds good. Notice what he says in verse one. Lord, I cry unto thee. I cry unto thee. Now that word cry means to proclaim, to utter aloud. And what we have to distinguish tonight is the difference between a cry and a whine. If you've ever raised kids tonight, you know there is a distinct difference between a cry and a whine. And if you're under the age of 99, you've probably done both of those in your life. At some point you've cried and at some point you've whined. In the Christian life, sometimes we do the same thing. What we ought to cry about we, 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 what we ought to proclaim to the Lord, we ought to, we ought to utter out loud to the Lord, often turns into a whine. Well, how do you know you're whining? It's when you're upset because you don't get your own way. And so you go to the Lord, you tell him how he's not doing this right. He's not doing it fast enough. He's not doing it quick enough. He's not doing it to your expectations. So now your cry has become a whine. Here, David's not whining to the Lord. He's not, he's not you know, in... in in essence, standing there with his arms folded, his lip pushed out, saying, Lord, you didn't do it my way. Most scholars believe that Psalm 141 is written in David's life as he's preparing to go to be in captivity in the land of the Philistines, you know, the people that he killed their champion. And so as he's, he's headed that way, he's got some things that he's crying on the Lord. He's asking the Lord. We cry when we have great need. We cry when we have a greater problem we can handle. We cry when something is more than what we are capable of of dealing with. And here David cries unto the Lord. He's asking for some good things, generally speaking, that all of us should ask for, but he's not doing it with a nonchalant attitude. He's doing it with one who is in desperate need of it. So we see the degree of his asking. Then verse number one, we see the desire of his asking. Well, he, how serious is he asking to the point he's asking, Lord, make haste unto me. God, I need this and I need it now. And I need it every day. And Lord, I, I don't know if I can wait for this. I don't know if, if I can make it. If you tarry, I'm not sure how all this is going to work out. So though we may label these as generally good things to ask for, don't treat them as optional, but rather treat them as absolutely necessary, not periodically in the Christian life, 
Not every now and again in your Christian life, but every day in your Christian life. He said, I need these now. Give ear unto my voice. Oftentimes we ask the Lord to answer and provide physical things. There's nothing wrong with that tonight. We ask him not just to answer, but Lord, we need these things now. If the bills are coming in and you know that you've got more month and you've got money left, you're saying, Lord, I need something now before this bill is overdue and this bill goes late and they add interest and late fees. Lord, I, I, I'm in a physical condition. Lord, I need help now. I need it solved now, Lord. And oftentimes we do that with physical things and there's nothing wrong. God is the great physician. He can take care of those. I can tell you stories about times when things showed up in my house and, and bills were paid that I still to this day have no idea were paid. But I'm thankful that God is more than just a God who can take care of physical needs. He can help us with our spiritual needs too. And we ought to have the same desire, that same fervency that we pray for those physical things as we do our spiritual things. The last thing we need to do is put our spiritual issues, our spiritual needs on the back burner and just wait until it's convenient to deal with them. Here, David tonight, not only is he crying to the Lord, but he's saying, Lord, I need these things now. Then notice the determination of his asking. Look at verse number two. He said, let my prayer be set before thee as incense in the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, some of you have, may have never messed with incense, never been around incense, but growing up Catholic, it was, it was a product and something that was used regularly in our church service. I'm thankful tonight to be a Baptist. I'm thankful tonight when you walk in here, none of us have incense tonight because that stuff, was, it'll choke you up, it'll choke you out. And here's the thing, once it's lit, once it has begun to produce smoke, that smoke just lingers. It just creates a hazy effect. And if you've ever been around somebody uh, that, that is smoking or things like that, you know, it, it, always, it always intrigues me that those that, that, that try to cover that up, they think just a dab of cologne will do it. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. That stuff just lingers in the air. That, that smell linger, lingers there. And here what David was saying, Lord, this isn't a, a prayer that I'm going to ask for one time. This isn't a prayer that I, I'm just going to, I'm going to one and done it. But Lord, I'm going to allow it to linger, Lord, because that's how serious it is. I don't want it to go away until, I don't want, I don't want it to do away with it quickly until it's answered. So it's like incense. But he says the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now you gotta think about this tonight. The, the physical picture that we're given is one that lifts their hands. One that is, that is offering the sacrifice of praise. In essence, David's saying, Lord, I'm gonna ask you for some things and I'm gonna praise you before you even give me the answer. Before you even show me exactly what I need, Lord, I'm gonna raise my hands and say, Lord, you are good, you are great, and I know you can answer that what I've asked you of. But not only is it an act of praise, but it's an act of releasing control. Right tonight, if I were to go into a bank, or you were to go into a bank, and you were to say, uh, and you and you walked in there to rob the, please don't. Do, we're not beating wise. We're not robbing banks tonight. These are just illustrations. But if you were to walk in there and you were to rob the place, what would you tell everybody to do with their hands? Put your hands up. Let me see them. Because if I can see your hands, I know that you are no longer a threat to me, you're no longer a threat to stopping this. When me and you put our hands up to God and we take our hands off of it, so to speak, what we're telling God is, Lord, I know I can't do this, but Lord, you can. And so, Lord, I'm giving it over to you. So we see the determination of his asking, the desire of it, the, the, the degree of his asking tonight. And David's gonna list out three things for us tonight that, generally speaking, are always good for us to ask for. Always good to ask the Lord to do for us and through us and in us tonight. How often, preacher? Every day. Every day. We need to get up and ask the Lord for these things. Not just because the preacher said so, but because we need these things desperately 
from the Lord or we need the Lord to do these things desperately in our life tonight. Notice number one, we, we need to ask the Lord to guard us. We need to ask the Lord to guard us. Look at verse number three. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Now tonight there is a thing that happens, a thing that takes place that, that I don't know what it is, but the moment somebody starts watching you do anything or do something that you've done a million times or something you're new at, the moment you have an audience, everything changes. You know, it's amazing the difference in my sermon delivery in the shower, my sermon delivery going down the road, my sermon delivery when I'm out, out in the yard working by myself, my sermon delivery when there's nobody else around. Man, I, good night, I, I can flat out let it rip, but you put one person in front of me and everything changes. It don't ever come out like I want it to. I say words I never intended to say. I do things and, and, and mess everything up and, and all that kind of stuff tonight. But it's crazy how just an audience changes that. I remember my first time preaching at Lighthouse Baptist College. just for practice preaching uh, on a Monday night. And, and Brother Robbie uh, said, Brother Tate, come preach for us. He handed me a microphone just like this. And I grabbed that little lapel mic where it clips onto your tie. And my hand was just a shaking back and forth. I mean, I've never shook that bad in my life to the point where I barely got it on my tie and then I still had to preach after that. There's something about somebody watching you that changes everything. But notice tonight, when David says set a watch, he's not asking God for an audience. He's not necessarily saying, Lord, come watch what I'm doing. Come see what I'm capable of doing. Come see what I'm, I'm, I'm able to accomplish. Lord, David knows, just like me and you, that our flesh is weak, that we can't really accomplish anything outside of the Lord's help tonight. Every good and perfect gift, everything we have in our life that is a blessing, that is good, that is what everybody compliments on us, that everybody says is good about us, we know tonight that comes from the Lord. And we see here that David, when he is saying, Lord, set a watch, he's not asking God to come watch him, but rather he's asking God to put a guard up around his life put a guard up in a specific area. It's like that word set a watch really means to put up a guard, to guard one from something. See, when you set up a guard, it goes in and out. Sometimes the guard is set up to keep things from getting in, much like your fence, much like the door of your house. Those things are put in place so you'll keep people from getting in. But at the same time, those very same guards can be used to keep things from getting out getting things, uh, uh, not allowing things to get out and think, into places that are too great for them, that are too much for them to handle. Uh, for a while there, that little dog we got on our house that uh, Brother Nate and Miss Angela blessed us with, <laughs> that blessing has turned into a burden. <laughs> Come to find out, the same dog that's related to ours does the very same thing that our dog does. For a while there, that dog would just do whatever he could, dig out anywhere and every which way. And, uh, but never ran away, never ran away and bothered me about that. Uh, you're going to dig out, at least run away. I'll go look for you. <laughs> but that fence is there to keep the dogs in. At the same time, it is also there to keep things from getting into where the dogs are. And tonight, when David says set a guard, he's not asking God tonight because he'll give us a location of where he desires the guard to be placed, the watch to be placed in his life. He's not asking God to keep things out, but rather he's asking God to keep things in. He's asking God to put a, a watch in a certain place of his life so that the wrong things don't get out. Notice what it says right there in verse number three. He says, set a watch, O Lord, What's the next phrase? Before my mouth. 
Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. David's request is for the latter, a guard, a, a guard uh, from keeping things out. It's not generic either. He specifies, Lord, I need you to guard my mouth. How many could raise hand and say, preacher, I need that prayer as well. Lord, help me to guard my mouth. It's amazing. You thought the devil said, you're the only one that ever struggles with that. You're the only one that ever deals with that. Let me help you out tonight. What's that trend? Every Christian, every Christian tonight, in one form or fashion, we struggle with our mouth. We struggle with our tongue. We struggle with our hearts. We struggle with all that. Why? Because that's the way it's designed. That's the way it is tonight. And so we need to find ourselves, not every now and again, but every day, praying the same prayer. Lord, set a watch over my mouth. Set a watch before my mouth. Here's the thing. Most people, like I said, most people believe David wrote this as he was preparing to go into the land of the Philistines to be captive, to be held prisoner. And he's asking God, Lord, help me to watch my mouth that I might not say anything that blasphemes you, nor might I not say anything that turns these Philistines away from you. Lord, would they, in what I say and what I speak, would they see the God of Israel in the words that I say? He was asking the Lord to guard his mouth that he might not say anything wrong or amiss. Well, so preacher, how dangerous, how dangerous is an unguarded tongue? How dangerous is a, is a tongue that does not have God watching it, so to speak, or guard, God guarding it tonight? Well, James tells us, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among all members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, it is set on fire of hell. That's your tongue and that's my tongue tonight. None of us ought to be proud of our tongues tonight. But here David said, Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Put a guard over my tongue. Watch the doors of my lips. Lord, don't let anything out that is unbecoming of a child of God. See, so many times, well, preacher, I don't cuss. And preacher, I don't, I don't, I don't tell filthy jokes. Preacher, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do those things. Can I say tonight, just because you don't cuss doesn't mean you've got your tongue under control. Just because you don't tell dirty jokes doesn't mean your tongue is under control. If you know tonight, here tonight, it's not always what you say, but sometimes it's how you say it. Sometimes it's, it's when you say it. And tonight, we need help with all of that tonight. From the pulpit down, we need God to guard our tongues tonight. Praying, notice this tonight, uh, just a few words spoken out of the flesh can cause a great catastrophe. Just a few words, I'm talking about just a few seconds can cause a lifetime of problems. We see that here tonight. And so David's saying, Lord, guard my mouth. But notice he goes on to say, keep the doors of my lips. Keep the doors of my lips. In essence, what he's saying is, Lord, guard my lips. And so many times we use that terminology and, and, and we, we, we say things and we say it along this way. Preacher, I'm praying for God's will. And I'm praying that if it's God's will, he opened the door wide open. And then what's the rest of that? And if it's not, he slammed the door shut because I want God's will. And we pray about that when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to, you know, different things in the Christian life. But that prayer ought to be prayed for our lips too. If God's saying, hey, keep those doors shut, we need to listen. 
We need to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit tonight. We need to pray that for situations and choices to be made in our lives, but we need to practice it when it comes to what we say. Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. What kind of things does the Lord want to come out of my mouth? The right things. The, the blessing things, the true things, that which is true, that which is right, those things that become sound doctrine. They line up with the word of God. They line up with truth. They line up with uh, what, what God has said. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here, here's a good test tonight that the Lord can give me and you before we say anything, are they gonna be better off for it once it's said? Is it gonna edify them? Is it going to strengthen them? Now, sometimes we have to tell the truth, right? Not sometimes, all times. We should tell the truth tonight. But remember, we need to tell the truth in love, right? With truth, we must also have grace. With truth, we must also have the leadership and the discernment of the Holy Spirit tonight. And so, in essence, when we have to say those things, we need to make sure we're saying the right way with love. And we have to ask ourselves, when I'm done saying this, will they be better off for it? Or will I sow seeds of discord? Will I sow seeds of doubt? Will I sow seeds of discouragement? Will I sow seeds of uncertainty and confusion in their life? Because God is not the author of any of those tonight. God is the author of truth, and he wants the truth coming out of my, our mouth this evening. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice tonight. Here's a, put it this way. If you've got to beat down the door to say it, don't say it. If God has shut the door on that, that phrase that you're wanting to use, that, that term that you're wanting to say, that, 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 that hot gossip that you just got to share, you got to spill the tea to somebody, hey, shut the door. Or let the door stay shut that God has shut tonight. Here, David saying, Lord, put a watch over my mouth. Lord, guard my mouth because David knew his tongue. And David, we know our tongue tonight. Not only, Lord, guard my mouth, but Lord, guard my lips. Don't let it come out. You control my lips, Lord, not me. Let me ask you tonight, who do you leave in charge of your words? Is it you or is it the Lord tonight? Every day when you get up and say, Lord, would you guard me? God, would you guard my mouth? Notice number two, we need to ask the Lord to grieve us. We need to ask the Lord to grieve us tonight. Verse number four, you say, well, preacher, I mean, preacher, I, I, well, look what it says in verse number four. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked words with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. There are certain words in my Bible that just make me chuckle. Dainties is one of those. It's just one of those words like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody in my entire life use that in a sentence. Or just like when it talks about, I think Joseph or Jacob says they were naughty. That makes me chuckle. He's a naughty boy. But notice here, you said, preacher, I want the Lord to bless me. I want the Lord to protect me. I want the Lord to provide me. I want provide for me. I want the Lord to use me, grow me, establish me, comfort me, encourage me. Well, I want the Lord to do all those good things. Well, you need to make sure you put grieve me on the end of that list as well. So now, preacher, I don't know about the time. I, I, don't, I don't know if I want the Lord to grieve me. Give me a few minutes and we'll see if we can change your mind tonight about letting the Lord grieve us. Notice the progression that takes place here in verse number four. First of all, it starts with incline not my heart to any evil thing. So we see here that there's a desire within David for evil things. There's a desire in David's natural heart, his natural flesh, to go against things that God is 
distinctly and, and, and definitely and clearly against. We see this when it was David and Bathsheba. He knew what he was doing wasn't right. He understood the truth that God has already established in the nation of Israel. That which he was doing wasn't right. That's why the Bible says when it was the time when kings should have been at war, where was David? He was at home. And we see tonight that David has the same desire, the same natural incline that me and you have, and that is toward the worldly, fleshly, evil things that go against God. That word incline means to bend towards, to stretch towards. In essence, David was saying, Lord, don't, ever, don't even let me get around it. Lord, if I'm heading in that direction, convict me and stop me before I even get near it. Because here's the thing, me and you, the longer we allow ourselves to negate the conviction of the Holy Spirit and pursue towards that which we know is wrong, sooner or later we're gonna excuse ourselves and we're gonna find ourselves in a mess that we know we're not supposed to be in. And so here David says, Lord, incline my heart Incline not my heart to any evil thing. Lord, don't even let me, my desire to, to go there become something of fruition. Why? Because it's a progression. Notice there, there was an inclined heart in the beginning of verse number uh, four tonight. Then look at verse number four right there in the middle of it. To practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. The desire leads to what? Action. To practice the, the wicked works of men who work Iniquity, nothing about that phrase sounds good. There's a whole lot of words that me don't like in there. Wickedness, iniquity, things we know we're supposed to stay away with. But here's the thing, he didn't allow the Lord to straighten out his heart and so now he can find himself working the wicked works of men that work iniquity. Notice here tonight that word practice means to busy oneself, to play the part. To play the part, to practice wicked works. In essence tonight, if you're a born again Christian, saved by the grace of God, who is changed, who has eternal life, all of that wonderful stuff that we read about in the book of Ephesians, that we read about in the New Testament, all of that stuff tonight, if, you, if that is you tonight, if you decide, to, if you don't allow God to incline not your heart towards those things, and you find yourself practicing, you literally have to be playing, you're pretending. You're pretending that those things that you knew God saved you from, you're pretending now that they feel good. You're pretending now that they're, they're solving problems. You're pretending now that they're fixing things. It's, it's a big play by yourself. It means to busy oneself. Preacher, where do you go to find the most miserable Christians? You go find those that have been saved by the grace of God who are out living in the world. Because you'll find none of them, not a single one of them, are happy about it. And if they tell you they are, they're pretending because it's the most miserable place you'll ever be, is out of the will of God and out of what God has desired for you, knowing you've made the choice because when you're, you're hard inclined towards it and instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you and stop you, you pursued it. Now you're practicing and now you're participating in it and you have to act like it, that you like it because if not, everybody else is gonna leave you. And so we see here that he says, uh, the progression, it went from an inclined heart to practice and look at the rest of the verse and let me not eat of their dainties. We see the enticing with the heart. We see the interaction with the practice. The dainty shows us the indulgence. The indulgence. A dainty is a delicacy. It's something that is not necessary for survival. It is something that you do not need to make it through life. It's a delicacy. It's something that people pay a lot of money for. It's something that people show off as, as, a, as a form of prestige and a form of, form of popularity. Look what I have. It's like caviar 
I don't know if you've ever had it. I, I, I have no desire to eat caviar. I have no desire to, to eat things. I remember I took a food safety class when I was working at Sonic, and that has turned me off from a lot of food <laughs> because of how it's prepared. It was, it was years before I tried sushi, and now I love sushi. I might like caviar. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not going to try. It's too expensive for fish eggs. But they're dainties. They're delicacies. They're, they're, they're things that people use to show off, but it's also a sign of indulgence. If you can afford delicacies, that means you've got way more than enough to make it through what you need. In essence, and I, when, when we think about this word dainties, it's something that me and you do not need to live the Christian life. He said, let me not eat of their dainties. Here's the interesting thing tonight, that word dainties is mentioned three times in your Bible. Mentioned here in Psalms 141, it's mentioned in the book of Genesis when, when Jacob is uh, handing out his, his blessings uh, at the end of his life, he tells Asher uh, how he's going to produce dainties. Then it's found in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. When thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of what? His dainties. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. See, that's what they're going to do. You're, it's going to pull you. And you're going to feel like, I need this. I want this. I got to have this. And then once you get it, you're saying, I don't, I, I don't want this anymore. I don't need this anymore. This is not what God desired for me. It's deceitful meat tonight. Notice the action that was used in Proverbs to curb one's appetite. What do he say? Put a knife to your throat. If you're given to appetite. If you're one of those that's preaching that, the world's got a strong pull to me. That world is, it's, got, it's enticing me, preacher. It's, 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 it's an unstoppable battle in my mind. I'm, I'm constantly feel like I'm being pulled away to the world. Preacher, what do I need to do? You need to put a sword to your throat. Not a knife, a sword. What is a sword? It's the word of God. What is your throat? It is, it is it, without your throat, you don't live. Right? If you, if you remove your throat, you're not getting air tonight. But me and you need to take the word of God and say, all right, I'm not making any more choices. I'm not pursuing those things because this has told me that which the world has for me. It looks good. It looks dainty. But really, it is, it is uh, what's, what's it called in Proverbs? It is deceitful meat tonight. So, preacher, what I need to do, you need to put a sword to your throat. Sword being the word of God. There are some who wish that the Lord wouldn't convict them. I wish the Lord would quit. I wish the Lord would let me do this. I wish the Lord would let me do that. I wish the, I wish the Lord would let me do this and, and let me say that and let me go there. And let me, can I say tonight, those people that have that mentality, that have that desire, 10 out of 10 of them turn out to be carnal Christians. Turn out to be carnal Christians because sooner or later, what they're upset about the Lord not letting them do, they're gonna just go do it themselves. There are some who welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God breaks your heart. He gives you a conviction. He gives you a standard. He gives you a, a reason why not to do things. And it's not just because somebody told you not to do it. He takes his word and he hides it in your heart that you might not sin against him. And when those who say, all right, Lord, you told me not to do it. You told me not to say it. You told me not to go there. And you told me why, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Those that do that accomplish the will of God and live for God and serve the Lord. Preacher, how do I allow the Lord to convict me? How do I allow the Lord to give me a conviction or a standard? Preacher, how do I do that? Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of understanding. Ask the Lord to grieve you. You could say it was, ask the Lord to convict you. 
Ask the Lord to deal with you on a personal level. Are you willing to allow the Lord to convict you of things that are wrong? And how often do you act accordingly when he does? Ask the Lord to guard you. Ask the Lord to grieve you. How often, preacher? Every day. Then notice number three tonight, ask the Lord to grade you. Ask the Lord to grade you. Look at verse number five. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, and that shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When you said general things, preacher, I thought you meant like pray about health, pray about the home, pray about your relationships, pray about problems and finances. I mean, I didn't know we was going to get uh, to this service and everything's going to be serious and personal and, and the Lord was going to deal with me. Can I say tonight, I'm not giving you anything the Lord hasn't dealt with me first. And we ought to deal with those, pray about those things, but we also have verses about those. Take no thought for your life. If God provides for the sparrow, he'll provide for you. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory tonight. And so we know that uh, tonight, all of that, but tonight, I, I didn't know it was gonna be that, this serious, and, but don't worry, it goes even further in verse number five. Verses one through four, he's been dealing with the negative things, so to speak. Guard, guard my mouth, it's, it's set on fire. Guard my heart, it's desperately wicked. Lord, grieve me. God, convict me of wrongdoing. Convict me before I, I, I go way off into the deep end of sin, Lord. Convict me while I'm still in the, the kiddie pool side, so to speak, Lord. But then you get to verse number five. David's saying, that which I've done right. That which I have, have, have done with the right heart, with the right intentions to please the Lord, to honor God, and to obey his word. Lord, grade that. Lord, tell me how good it really is. Or tell me how much I need to improve. Ask the Lord to grade you how often every day. The first two deal with our shortcomings, our tongue and our hearts. Verse five deals with our success in letting them be graded or reviewed. Now notice tonight in verse number five, we see that there's a requirement for the one who's going to do the grading. It said, let the righteous. Let the righteous what? Smite me. Let the righteous tonight. Well, Romans 3.10 says, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so now what you have to be careful with is allowing the brethren, so to speak, to be your judge. Because if you're simply doing it to please a fellow brother or sister or a fellow person or another human being, you're not doing it for the Lord. There's only one righteous judge, and that's God tonight. And so we need to get up every day and say, all right, Lord, that which I did for you yesterday and that what I want to do for you today, Lord, would you grade it for me? Lord, would you tell me how it needs to be done, how it should be done? It's not about letting another man approve your worst and success. It's rather it's allowing the Lord, the righteous one, to judge and grade what we have done for him. Well, preacher, when I step back and I allow the Lord to grade me, what takes place? <laughs> Read the rest of verse number five. Look what it says right there. Let the righteous smite me. Let the righteous smite me. I love it when you look into the commentary and the commentators have no idea <laughs> of what it says and why it's there. There's one commentator, I kid you not, here's what it said when I was studying. He said, this is a very difficult verse to understand. I said, well, me and you are on the same page, brother. You just wrote it 200 years before I did. But here's why it's difficult to understand because we look at the word smite and the word righteous 
We think as one of God taking his righteous judgment, his wrath and pouring it out and smiting the heathen, smiting the wicked tonight. And no doubt the Lord is the righteous judge. And one day his wrath will be poured out on this earth. How many glad tonight we ain't gonna be here for that? I'm glad tonight that before all that takes place, before all that starts, there's gonna be a great call. Trumpet's gonna sound and I'm gonna be gone. Whoever's left can preach, but it ain't gonna be me. Notice here that word smite means to strike down. It means to hammer. It means to beat down. <laughs> then notice we said, it shall be a kindness. <laughs> Time out. The last, I, I don't know if you've ever been punched. I don't know if you've ever, you've ever been hit in the face. I don't know if somebody's ever purposely tried to hurt you. But when they do that to you, do you think, man, they sure are being kind to me, aren't they? <laughs> Thank you for beating me down. I needed that. But that's what, this, that's what David's saying here. He said, the righteous smite me. It should be a kindness. Well, how in the world does that even make sense? We often tie, like I said, we tie that word smiting to the righteous acts of God and pouring out his, his judgment on people. But it can also be tied to an act of love or kindness. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, if you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children, my son, despise thou, not thou the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourge every son whom he receiveth. Can I say tonight, sometimes the Lord will take us, and he doesn't do it out of anger. He's not doing it out of malice. He's not doing it out of hate. But he's doing it out of love. And sometimes he has to correct us. And in the moment, oh, it don't feel good. In the moment, it is painful. In the moment, you just want it to end. But on the other side of it, when you've come to the realization of why and, and how and, and what it's accomplished, you'll say, thank you, Lord, for chastening me. Thank you, Lord, for correcting me. Can I say tonight, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't get in trouble when I was a youngin'. But the main reason was there was a disciplinary act that was attached to my wrongdoings. And it was, here's, you know, some, some kids say, I preferred my mom to spank me. I preferred my dad to spank me. I preferred that neither one of them spanked me. My mom, she's precious. She sat here. Y'all loved on her. I thank y'all for doing that. Boy, she'd wear me out. <laughs> With whatever and wherever, <laughs> you know, it wasn't one of those, wait until we get home. It was, I'm going to whip you now. And then when we get home, you're going to get it again. So, <laughs> My mom, she didn't play, but neither did my dad. And my dad, you know, he is, I mean, he's older now, but I still, I still wouldn't pick a fight with him. When I was growing up, he looked like that Russian out of Rocky. That would break you. I believed he would. I mean, and, and he, he didn't just grab a belt or any, any belt that was in his closet. He went and found his weight belt, weightlifting belt. That thing was about that wide all the way across. And son, he would take that thing, God had anointed it in heaven and bring it down across my rear end. And in the moment, I didn't like it. In the moment, it devastated me. It about destroyed me. But on this side of it, I can see why they did what they did. The same thing is true when it comes to God disciplining us. We don't like it. It hurts. It's painful. But when we get on the other side of it, we'll say, thank you, Lord. That sure was a kind thing of you for smiting me, for correcting me. But notice here, he says, Lord, grade me. Sometimes we have to be corrected. 
Sometimes we have to be disciplined. But notice there's also sometimes there's reproving. Look what he says right there in verse number five. And that shall be, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil. It shall be an excellent oil. The word reprove means to correct. It means to prove again. Reprove, to prove again. Something that you already know, but you have to be told again. Now I'm glad that the Lord doesn't have the same, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The same, not attention span, but the same patience that I have. Because I hate repeating myself. I hate repeating myself. Especially when it's to somebody that I know already knows the truth. Already knows what they're supposed to do. How many, glad how many times has God proved himself to you again and again and again? You ever felt like that? You're like, boy, I ought to be past this by now. <laughs> this ought not to trouble me anymore. This ought not to make me cause, cause me to worry, cause me to fear, cause me to do the things that I know a Christian's not supposed to do. And in the midst of that, the Lord shows himself faithful to you. He reproves you. He proves you again. And his Bible says, when he does that, it shall be like an excellent oil. It shall not break my head. Now, tonight, when you think about this, the application of oil in your Bible, there was kind of two purposes. One, it was used for the anointing purpose of oil. Used in the ceremony, anointing of the king, let this truth govern you. When God reproves you and God corrects you and God reminds you again of a truth that you already know, that you already know to be true, you already know where he proves you again, stop back and say, all right, from now on, I'm gonna let this truth settle and rest in my heart. I'm allowed to govern my life like a king would govern a country. Not only is this the anointing purpose of oil, but notice the alleviating power of oil. Oftentimes that oil is poured into wounds to help it heal, to soothe the pain, to, 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 to encourage the healing process. And sometimes in our life, when God proves us again, and God reproves us, and he reminds us, and he corrects us again, it helps us heal. It helps us realize how much he loves us Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that he may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God tonight. But we need to let the Lord guard us. Put a watch up over our tongues and our hearts tonight. We need to let the Lord grieve us. When we go out into sin, it ought to bother us tonight. We ought to ask the Lord to grade us. Lord, I've given it my best. Lord, I, 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 I'm doing all that I know to do, Lord. Is there anything else I could do? And I say tonight, and the answer to that question is always going to be yes. Because you have yet to arrive. You have yet to have it all figured out tonight. When you step back and you say, Lord, would you grade me? He'll say, well, what about this? What about that? Lord, I, I was worried about, Lord, I was struggling with that. He'll say, that's all right. Sometimes he's got to correct us, and sometimes... He'll reprove us and prove himself to us again. Let me ask you, are you willing to allow God to grade your success so that you might be improved for his glory tonight? Three things we'd ask the Lord to do every day of our life. Lord, guard us. Lord, grieve us. Lord, grade us tonight. Let's pray to heaven.